You are listening to the Jewel City Podcast. To help spread the gospel of Jesus, give us a five-star rating. That'll help bump us up in the podcast platforms. Additionally, make sure you share it with your friends. It's awesome to be here. And truly, the presence of the Lord is in this house. I want to begin with two passages from the Psalms. I'm not one of those ministers that has a real long introduction. Uh, Psalm 119, 103 and 105. How sweet are thy words unto my taste. Yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through thy precepts I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. I could preach there for a while. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Psalm 37, 23 and 24. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he, the Lord, delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. So I wanna talk to you for a few minutes tonight about failing forward. The Bible says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord or a good woman are ordered by the Lord. And then it says, though he falls, he'll not stay there, he'll rise again. Proverbs 24, 16 says, a just man falls seven times and rises up again, but the wicked fall into mischief. The Amplified says a righteous man falls seven times and rises again but the wicked stumble in time of disaster and collapse. Japanese proverb says, fall seven times, get up eight times. Amen. So I want you to understand this morning, I've, I've dealt with so many people that start a walk with God and when they make a mistake, when they fall, when they seem to fail, and sometimes we fail in pretty miserable ways, amen? Y'all gonna talk to me tonight because I, 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 maybe I'm the only one that's made a lot of mistakes since I've started serving God. The key is, are you gonna learn from it when you fall? Are you going to grow from it or are you gonna just waller in it? You see, if I decided I was gonna walk from over on this end of the platform to the other, or I was walking down the road trying to go home and I got halfway across and I trip and fall. <laughs> Do I have to crawl all the way back to where I started? Or can I get up and claim the progress I've already made and move on? You see, the devil will tell you when you make a mistake, when you fall, oh, you're just never really saved. You're a loser. You're worthless. And you're not ever going to amount to anything. Anybody here besides me ever promised God, oh, God, if you'll forgive me for this, I'll never do it again. And then you did it again. Huh. I quit saying that. I quit saying, I know you'll forgive me. I know your grace is sufficient. And give me the strength, Lord because I can't do it in my own ability or my own strength. So you gotta understand that falling down is part of growing up. Tell the person next to you in case they didn't hear that, falling down is part of growing up. How many of you, when your kids decided to learn to walk, they just jumped up and waltzed across the floor? 
Or did they have to crawl first? And then after they crawled for a while, they started holding on to things and trying to walk. Now, when that kid falls on its face trying to walk, no good parent would say, you worthless idiot, you'll never walk. Would they? Neither does your heavenly father. Maybe y'all don't need to hear this, but if one or two of you can get a hold of something that will encourage you tonight, then I've done what God has called me here to do because it's part of learning. First you crawl, and then they toddle a little bit, and then they start walking, and then they learn to run, and they learn to climb, and for too long you can't keep them down. Matter of fact, we spend the first three or four years with our kids teaching them to stand up, to walk, and to talk, and the rest of our time with them to teach them to sit down and shut up. Amen? Or am I the only parent here that's experienced that? And I want you to understand that every time you fall, anytime you make a mistake, if you learn from that and you're honest about it and you'll repent of that. Now, the Bible says, he that covereth his sins shall not prosper. But he that confesses and forsakes his sins, the same will have mercy. So if you will be honest about your struggle and you'll be real with God, and why in the world wouldn't you be real with God? He knows it anyway. You ever get mad at God? I have. I say, Pastor, well, aren't you afraid of that? Well, my kids have gotten mad at me when they didn't understand what I was doing. I remember our youngest one, we got her when she was four months old. She's adopted. She's such a precious, beautiful child. And I remember I got a call one day, and they said, uh, Tammy said, now here's, here's how she did me since she's here. She said, honey... They just called and said, Alicia needs four more shots before she can come to school. So I want you to take her to the health department. I had her in the car already. And I'm like, what a setup. I took that precious little girl in and they said, now we're going to put her on your lap and give her shots on both sides at the same time. And you hold on tight. Well, I never thought about the little boots she was wearing and where my shins were. They lit into her and she kicked the fire out of me. She was mad at me. She was hurt at me. She didn't understand why her daddy that's supposed to love her would set her in a place where she feels hemmed in and pinned and then cause pain. She had no understanding that I was trying to protect her from problems on down the road because in her mind is why is this so miserable? and Why am I hurting like this? And why is this such a mess? And why is my daddy letting him do this to me? I wonder, it hurt. I mean, my shins were hurting more than her shoulders were. I know they were. And I took her to Walmart, and I took her to Dairy Queen, and I tried to make up for it. And you know what? There are instances in our lives that we say, why are we in such a tough place? And we mad at God and we get mad because we don't understand the pain and we don't understand the confinement but I'm telling you he works all things together for good to those who love him who are called according to his purpose that's the key I've heard people say to just everybody oh God works all things together for good not for everybody I'm going to be selective here for those who love him 
who realize they have a call on their life, who realize that there's purpose for what they're doing. And so one of the finest men in the Bible, and I want you to see this falling down as part of learning. I want you to look at the life of the apostle Peter with me for a few minutes because he didn't just get up, meet Jesus, and just walk a straight line. Matter of fact, how did Peter live before Jesus? Did you know he said how we did? Look at 1 Peter 4, verses 3 and 4. He says this, For in the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we, how may I say he's including himself here? Here's how I used to live. Lasciviousness, lust, excessive wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries. And he said, your old friends think it's strange that you don't run with them to the same excessive riot speaking evil of you. The New King James says it this way, for when we spent enough of our past lifetime doing the will of the Gentiles, we walked in lewdness and lusts and drunkenness and revelries and drinking parties and abominable idolatries. You didn't know he lived like that before he met Jesus, did you? You know, every saint has a past and every sinner has a future. And I'm telling you, when you come up out of a lifestyle like that, you don't just wake up and I don't care what kind of an experience you have and you do need to be saved. You need to be filled with his presence, his power, the Holy Spirit. You need to let him sanctify you, but you're not perfect overnight. You got to learn to crawl. Then you got to learn to toddle. Then you got to learn to walk and you got to continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of God. So he first meets Jesus and Jesus preaches from his boat and he says to him in Luke 5, Jesus, now I've been to Galilee and I found out that the fishermen go out in the evening and they fish in the cool till early morning and they don't fish in the heat of the day. So he's already fished all night. He's caught nothing. And this carpenter, that's who he thinks he is at the time has the audacity to tell him how to fish. Another thing I found out when we were there is they don't fish out in the deep, they fish around the shallows of the lake. That's where the fish come in. And he looks at him, we fished all night and we ain't caught nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I'm gonna do it. Now a lot of people think that he said that by faith and he was being this wonderful apostle speaking by faith. He wasn't because he was surprised at the catch. Come on. And when it's all done, he says, depart from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. I can't handle this. I'm not good enough to be your disciple. No, he had kind of an attitude. Well, I'll just show you. I'm the fisherman. You think you're going to tell me how to do it? Because you said so. Come on, let me show you. And boy, did it turn around. And I'm telling you what, aren't you glad God hadn't answered every one of your prayers? This was his prayer, depart from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. I'm not worthy. I mean, I'm, I'm just an old partying, cussing, fighting fisherman. That's what he saw himself as. But Jesus saw an apostle who would affect the known world of his day and give his life for the gospel. 
You see, that the Lord sees your potential. He's like a good coach. You may have fumbled the ball. You may have fall, fallen. You may not get every play right. But I'm going to tell you something. God sees your potential. And so he tells the Lord, I'm not even fit to be your disciple. And the Lord didn't say, oh, okay, that's the way you are. Then in Matthew 14, they're in that storm. Jesus sent them out and said, Go, I'm going to catch up with you later. And in the middle of the storm, the vehement wind and rain, he sees somebody walking on the water. Now, I want to tell you something. In your storm, you can get real confused as to what's God and what's the enemy. Because they believed that storms were always the will of God and they believe if you saw an apparition, if you were out sailing in a boat and you saw an apparition on the water, well, that's a ghost or a spirit and you're, you're done for. That's the end. Say, so, Pastor, what are you saying? Listen to me. Every storm that comes into your life is not from God. Jesus rebuked the storm. Would he have rebuked the will of his father? Think about that. They saw the Lord coming toward them, and they thought it was an evil spirit, and they thought the storm was from God. You see how confused we can get in a storm? So I want you to realize that everything that comes into your life is not necessarily the will of God, or we wouldn't be praying every day, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. God has a purpose. Now, here's a good thing about it. Whether the storm is from the Lord or from the devil, God has his way in the storm, and Peter learned something through it. I've heard a lot of sermons on Peter sinking. I'm going to tell you something. He's the only one who had enough nerve to get out of that boat. Lord, if that's you, you bid me come to you. And Jesus, what could he say? It isn't me. He says, come. Peter gets out. As long as he's focused on Jesus, you all know this story. But I want you to see when he looked at the storm around him, took his eyes off the Lord, he did just like we do. You take your eyes off Jesus sometimes with all the circumstances around you, and he begins to sink, and, and he asks the Lord to help him. And if he'd have been one of these, if Jesus would have been in line with modern so-called faith teaching sometimes, I hope I'm not getting on to some of your favorite preachers, he'd have said, oh, you lost your faith, you go ahead and sink. But aren't you glad that even when our faith fails, his love and his compassion and his grace will still reach down and pick us up? And Peter walked on the water twice. Because I don't think Jesus drug him back to the boat like this. He sank. He fails. But he doesn't give up. Matthew 16 Jesus takes him to Caesarea Philippi, a place of idolatry. And he stands at this place and he says, where they worship all these other gods, Pan being one of the gods they worshiped. There's a great cave there. And they would offer animal sacrifices and human sacrifices to this God until the water in the cave ran red with blood. And it went with all kind of filth. And they called that cave the gate of hell. And Jesus said to them there, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? Some says Elijah, some says one of Jeremiah, some said the prophets. And then he asked the most important question in the whole Bible. Who, as far as your salvation, who do you say that I am? Who you believe Jesus is has everything to do with your salvation. 
All the cults believe in him, but they call him a spirit guide. They call him a prophet. But I'm telling you something. Peter got an anointing. He got a revelation from God. And he said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And, and Jesus says, blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonas. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father, which is in heaven, I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom. You're going to have authority. And we just shout about that. Hallelujah. Peter's got the keys. He's got the revelation. But you know, in the same chapter, he messes up royally. In that very same chapter, this man who had this great revelation of who Jesus was, he kind of trips up. Jesus said, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to, the chief priests and the scribes, they're going to haul me before him. I'm going, they're going to beat me. They're going to kill me. And the third day I'll rise again. And Peter took Jesus' aside, get this, and began to rebuke him. That's in your Bible. Not so, Lord. We're not going to let that happen to you. In the same chapter that Jesus called him blessed and said he had a revelation from God, he called him the devil. <laughs> You're looking at me in a strange tone of voice. How many's ever been in the presence of God and really blessed at church and said something you shouldn't have on the way home, got in a fight with your spouse? Come on now. Get thee behind me, Satan, Jesus said. You favor the things that are of men. And not of God. So here he is, one man being uh, extolled for having a revelation from God and, and realizing that, you know, God's not flesh and blood. So that scripture there, by the way, blows away Mormonism because they teach that God the Father was a human man that became a God. Well, Jesus just said he wasn't flesh and blood, didn't he? Flesh and blood hadn't revealed this to you, but my Father, which is in heaven. So I don't know who that's for. Free little detour. But get a hold of this. He's commended and rebuked severely in the same chapter. Now, Jesus wasn't literally saying that he was Satan, but he knew that it was Satan speaking through him, trying to keep him from going to the cross. Amen? Now, can I give you a couple more? Matthew 18. I know when I read this in context that one of the, these disciples didn't always get along. Did you know that? Did you know they fussed with each other? Did you know they had their disagreements and, 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 and Jesus would have to stop? I can just hear Jesus, just, just don't make me stop this donkey. Huh? They fussed with each other. Somebody had already gotten on his nerves at least six times that day. Because he says this, Lord, how many times in a day do I have to forgive my brother? Seven times? <laughs> And I know he was thinking like, I'm about done with this. What did Jesus say? Seventy times seven. And you know what their response was? Lord, increase our faith. How many know it takes faith sometimes to be merciful? It takes faith sometimes to be forgiving. Peter, even though he was going to need forgiven over and over, he was struggling with forgiving others. I don't know about you, but I kind of identify him uh, on all these things, you know. And then, in, and then at the end of that chapter, he goes to bragging on about, I gave up everything to follow Jesus. What, is, what goes before a fall? Haughty spirit goes before 
a fall. In the 26th chapter of Matthew, he arrogantly promises to never forsake Jesus. I don't care what the rest of them do. I'll be there and I'm faithful and I don't go to bragging. Jesus said, Peter, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny that you know me three times. Not me. Here he is correcting the Lord again. But you know what? If I'd have been Jesus, I'd have said that. And if you do, buddy. But there's an interesting thing here. Jesus didn't say, I prayed for you that you won't do this. Because he already knew that he was so weak in his flesh. He hadn't been filled with the Holy Spirit yet. He knew that he would. This is fascinating to me because I would say, oh, God, I pray that you don't make that mistake, that you don't do that horrible thing. But Jesus said, no, I'm praying that when you do get this, that your faith fail not. And when you get straightened out, when you get converted, you strengthen your brothers. I'm going to let you go through this. I'm going to let you fall. I'm going to let you fail. But I want you to have the faith to believe that I still love you, that I still care about you, that I will still forgive you. Now, I want you to understand something. This is how we get our forgiveness. How many understand this through faith? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, the apostle John says. So Jesus is saying to him, you're going to mess up, but I'm going to pray that you don't go into that depression of saying, I'm so messed up. God can never forgive me. I just don't understand. And, and I just, how many ever seen people just implode on themselves and not have the faith to receive the promised forgiveness of God? I prayed for you that your faith doesn't fail. Jesus goes into Gethsemane. And when he needs his disciples to intercede with him the most, when he needs in the most critical hour of his life, when he is under such intense pressure that his sweat becomes his great drops of blood, and he is praying, Father, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. You know what Peter's doing? Taking a nap. Now, I want, you, I want you to hear this. If you spend all your time sleeping more than you ought to be praying, you're going to wake up confused. Jesus says, they're coming for me. Might as well sleep on. It's time. Peter jumps up, half asleep, pulls out his sword, cuts off Malchus, the servant of the high priest's ear, and Jesus rebukes him again, put away your sword. Those who take the sword will perish, live by the sword will perish by the sword. By the way, that's not a verse against arming yourself because he tells them later they need to get swords. I just threw that in free. But hear this. If he had been interceding in prayer with Christ, he would have understood that Christ submitted his will to the Father and Christ was in control because when he said, whom seek ye? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I know the text says, I am he, but in the Greek, he just simply said, I am. And when he said, I am, because he is the great I am, they fell backwards to the ground. 
Okay, Peter was sleeping when he should have been praying. He gets in the flesh and tries to fight physically when the, when the battle is spiritual. And then when Jesus rebukes him, he runs away. Now, here's where he gets in trouble. He follows from a distance. You ever felt like you kind of failed God and just kind of back off and try to follow from a distance? Following from a distance is more dangerous than not following at all. Because as he follows from a distance, he finds himself warming his hands by the devil's fire. And then he's surrounded by people who are enemies of Christ. And he, they begin to say, oh, you're one of those. You're one of his disciples. We can tell. And to prove that he wasn't, he cusses a little bit and denies the Lord three times. Man, what a failure. But every time he fails, he learns something for it. And he moves forward a little bit. I want you to hear. Now, I'm sure nobody ever here was around folks that aren't saved. And you tried to act a little bit like them because you didn't really want to be different. Huh? Oh, it's getting quiet in here. He denies the Lord three times. But I want you to hear this. You know, people heard him cussing and denying the Lord. But the most riveting part of the story for me is the Bible says when the third time happened, he saw Christ and their eyes met. Can you imagine how he felt? What a mixture of emotions. Oh, yeah, you told me I would, and I said I wouldn't, and, and here I am. They're, they're, they're doing all this to you, and I've failed you completely. I am a total failure is how he felt. People heard his cussing. They saw his failure, but nobody saw what happened next. He went and he wept bitterly. Folks, sometimes when you fail, you just need to get before him and let the tears flow and say, Father, I don't have any righteousness of my own. It will only be your righteousness. Lord, let me learn from this. Lord, I really am. And his, his repentance was sincere. But he felt like, I'll never be now what he called me to be. I'll just go back to fishing. <laughs> but you know what? On the third day, when the stone was rolled away, the angel said to the woman in Mark 16, uh, verse 7, go and tell the disciples and Peter <laughs> that I'm risen and I'm going to meet you in Galilee. Why did the angel specifically call his name? Because God had heard his prayer of repentance and God was acknowledging him and the Lord was saying, Peter, I'm not done with you. I haven't changed my mind about you. When I first called you, I saw goodness and purpose in you. And even though you've made all these mistakes, you're still going to be my man. Give him praise. <laughs> So, Jesus comes out there to the lake and he repeats, you know, now I want you to hear this. This is an important point. 
Peter thought he was going back to what he used to be and do. Jesus was taking him back to where he first met him to renew the covenant. Jesus again re re renews the miracle of the catch of the fish. And Peter asked Peter three times, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. He renews his commission there. I want you to hear this. I, I want to make this statement. And I want you to get a hold of this. If the devil keeps trying to get you to look at your past, there must be something in your future that he don't want you to see. Did you get that? I want to say it again. If the devil keeps trying to get you to look at your past, there's something in your future that he does not want you to see. Now, don't give up on yourself when you make mistakes. Ask God, how can I learn, excuse me, from this mistake and yet go forward further? Now, I'm not saying that don't you ever go out of here thinking that I said you could just do whatever you want and God's okay with it. No, I'm saying when you fail, I'm not talking about just deliberately doing evil. I'm talking about trying to do the right thing and failing. Amen. We've all done that. But go back to a previous scripture. The Bible doesn't say a just man might fall. It said he will. Seven times. Do y'all know what seven means in the Bible? It don't mean just seven. It means whatever number of times you might fall. The, the, the key is to get back up again. Listen, I've been knocked out several times in the fight, but I never let the referee count to ten. I get back up on my feet and say, let's go for another round, devil. Because even though I might lose a round, the fight is fixed. I'm more than a conqueror through him who loved me and gave himself for me. And so are you. So when you fall, when you fail, fall forward. So when the day of Pentecost is fully come in Acts chapter 2, if I was the Lord, I probably would have gotten John the Beloved to preach because he's the one that was at the cross. But you know who he calls on to preach that first message? That bumbling, stumbling, not so long ago cussing fisherman. And who could preach a message of repentance in humility better than someone who had just bitterly wept and sincerely repented for failing the Lord? Amen. I can see the other saying, well, I could do that. How come God didn't choose me? Huh? Huh? But you know what? There, when the Holy Spirit came and touched all their hearts, there was such perfect unity that the Bible says when Peter stood up to preach that the 11 stood up with him. And he said, this same Jesus that you've crucified with wicked hands, God has made him both Lord and Christ. What shall we do? Did you know at Pentecost, the prayer of Jesus on the cross was answered when he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Those who were mocking him. Peter said that's the same ones that were there listening to him preach. Now look at this. He's filled with the Holy Spirit and the same man that ran and hid and cussed and carried on is now standing if, even with his life being in jeopardy and proclaiming Jesus Christ as Lord.
Was he perfect from then on? No. Do you know what? Even us pastors have been preaching over 30 years. We still fall. But we try our best not to just get into deliberate sin. And when we fail, we want to fall forward. I can show you where the apostle Paul rebuked the apostle Peter for a mistake that he made in refusing to eat with the Gentiles. And you know what? Peter receives that rebuke. That's a man that's learned how to repent and how to receive instruction. And you know what he says at the end of his writings about Paul who rebuked him? He said those that are ignorant will twist Paul's writings to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. Calls Paul's writing scripture. Isn't that interesting? Endorses this man who rebuked him. Acts chapter 2, he preaches a message that brings 3,000 people. What should we do? He says, repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this isn't just for us, it's for you and your children, as many as are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And in many other words, he exhorted and said, save yourself from this corrupt generation. And then the next chapter, he's going up to the temple to pray with John, and this man who's messed up so many times is so full of the Holy Ghost that whenever they see that lame man laying at the gate begging for alms, he said, look at us. The man looks up thinking he's going to get some change. Peter said, silver and gold, have I none, but such as I have give I unto you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he jumped up. Now think about this. His muscles are atrophied. 38 years he'd been there. That means even Jesus walked by him and he didn't get a healing yet. But listen, he ran into the temple jumping and leaping and praising God. And I can just see those Pharisees saying, why are you acting like that in church? The greatest ability that God is looking for in you is availability. Don't be quick. That's my last point. Don't be so quick to give up on yourself. Amen. Pastor, I've had people struggle for years. One young man relapsed several times in trying to get off of drugs. Now he runs four recovery houses and a Celebrate Recovery uh, Association. And he's helping so many get clean. You don't give up. You know what he'd do, though? Doug Spears, some of you might know him. Sometimes during his struggle, he'd go out and fail and get high. And twice he even came to church high. I could have said, get out of here, you bum. You know better than that. You're a reproach, but no. I said, you know what? If he still cares enough in his condition to come in here to church, the Holy Ghost can get a hold of him and change him. And God has so completely changed his life. But folks, it didn't happen just in an instant. But when he failed, he failed forward. There's a difference in failing forward and backsliding. Backsliding is when you give in to that voice. You say, well, I'll never mount to anything anyway. And then you just waller in it. Stand with me. Don't be so quick to give up on yourself. And hear me. This is very important. Don't be so quick to give up on others. 
Amen. I want to read a quote from Theodore Roosevelt. It's called The Man in the Arena. And I just love what our former president said way back in the day. It is not the critic who counts. Not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by the dust and the sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs and comes up short again and again, but because there's no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows the great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, who at the worst, if he fails, at least he fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat. Amen. Fight the good fight. Stay in the arena. If you get knocked down, get up again. And every mistake you make, learn from that. You know what? Every mistake and every failure I've made has made me more compassionate with others who are struggling. If I never made any mistakes, I might arrogantly get up here and tell you what a wonderful person I am and how close I am to the Lord. But I'm going to tell you, sometimes when I've fallen at his feet, it's because I've fallen. This scripture in closing. He's touched with the feelings of our infirmity. Let us therefore boldly come before the throne of grace. Boldly. And he's not seated on the judgment throne yet. He's seated on the mercy seat, the throne of grace. To obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Now get this. When do you need mercy and grace? When you've done everything right? I used to think I couldn't come boldly into God's presence unless I'd lived right all week. Anybody ever try to live right for two or three weeks before you felt you was worthy to even praise him? It says boldly approach his throne. Literally, if it's a need for grace and mercy, that means when you've messed up, have a boldness to come in and say, God, I don't come by my own righteousness. I come by the blood of your son and his finished work on the Christ cross. And I plead the blood of Jesus and he's my defense attorney and he's pleading my case. And yes, I've fallen, but I come boldly into your presence because I know you're going to forgive me and help me to move forward from this day on in Jesus name. Thank you for listening to the Jewel City Podcast.